Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me today. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about a very difficult subject and it is definitely not suitable for kiddos. So I would ask that you use discretion when listening with children around. In the first episode, I listed numerous scenarios in which someone may be struggling and I would like to start unpacking that list. You know, I said that I have a story to tell and every story has a beginning. My beginning deals with a lot of childhood trauma, such as sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. So I believe that it's definitely important to understand the effects that childhood trauma plays in adult responses to things like emotions, relationships, responsibility, self-image, etc. And we're going to continue to unpack that list and all of the things that childhood trauma affects within multiple episodes. But this is how my story begins. I am the product of an extramarital affair. I don't say this to shame anybody. I don't want to shame my mom. I don't want to shame my dad. It is just simply the truth. My mom was young and naive, and she had experienced a lot of traumas within her own life. She was already a single mother to my older sister, and she was swept up in the charming good looks of my father. Um, I don't want to brag, but I know for a fact he was good looking because I look just like him. (laughs) But seriously, he was much older than her, and he was so well-versed in manipulation. So to make a really long story short, I was conceived and when I was eight months old, my biological father committed suicide. Between the course of my conception and my father's death, my mom met and married the man who would raise me. He was 14 years older than my mother. He was also very handsome and charming, but he was extremely abusive. So of course, when I was a child, I didn't realize this, but being able to look back in hindsight, I can see all the ways in which my mom, my siblings, and I were abused, and definitely some more than others. We had a very blended family as well. As stated, my mom had my older sister and was pregnant with me when she and this man began seeing one another. Um, My mom had never been married before, but my mom was his fourth wife. He had four daughters from two of his previous marriages and then they had three more children together after I was born. So in total, there were nine children. The two oldest girls were teenagers when my mom and this man met and married, so they didn't live with us. And I know that this is really confusing and it's a lot of dynamics, but I lay all of this out because I feel that it is extremely important for people to understand the foundations of their childhood. And it's really, really important for you to understand your own beginning. So my earliest memory was from when I was about 13 or 14 months old. I would like to note that I have a photographic memory and when I remember things, it is in very vivid detail. I remember talking to my mom about this memory a few years ago and when we were talking about it, she was completely taken aback that I could remember that incident. So what had happened is I had taken my mom's keys and I was going to put them in the electric socket to pretend I was driving because in my one-year-old brain, the electric socket reminded me very much of a car um, ignition. And so I was just gonna pretend like I was driving. But fortunately, before I could get the key into the socket, my mom came flying over the couch and she stopped me. She was about eight or nine months pregnant with my sister who is 14 months younger than me. I remember what my mom was wearing. I remember the furniture of the house. I remember the blue carpet in the house. I remember the wall in which I was facing. I even remember how scared I felt when my mom jerked the keys out of my hands and she pulled me away from the wall. When I first told my mom this memory, she was like, gosh, I'd forgotten about that. I can't believe you remember that. 
I begin here because memories are necessary to help us process through traumatic experiences. And this was actually a traumatic experience for me. A lot of my childhood memories are based in fear and trauma. And this is where things are going to start um, getting really difficult to listen to. So as a reminder, if you have children listening with you, I would advise that they do not listen to the rest of this episode. So the man that raised me made it abundantly clear that my older sister and I were not his daughters, yet we were required to call him dad. I just want to make it clear that I do not recognize him as my father and we do not have a relationship at all. But to um, lessen the confusion, I'm just going to refer to him as my dad in this episode. My dad was very abusive in the way that he disciplined us. I have so many memories of having bruises up and down my legs or on my lower back from him whipping me. Um, He would make my sisters and brother and I get out of bed early in the mornings and do military style workouts in the front yard. We were always doing some kind of manual labor that when looking back was not appropriate for children to be doing. He would wake us up in the middle of the night and make us get out of bed to reclean the kitchen or the bathroom or whatever if it was not done to his liking or something ridiculous like that. I remember I had to rub his feet every night when he got home from work and if that wasn't done to his liking, I would get in trouble for it. So we grew up on a farm with horses and I remember him doing things like spraying the horses with water when we were on the farm just to get the horses riled up and he would laugh like it was hilarious, not like it was dangerous and that we could potentially be hurt, but like it was something funny. And the list just goes on and on. So he always made sure that we were afraid of him and I have a lot of memories of him belittling me. My youngest son asked me recently why I always tell him how handsome he is and I explained to him that I don't have a single childhood memory of my dad ever telling me that I was beautiful or complimenting me or even telling me that he was proud of me. Literally always the exact opposite. So this alone was detrimental in my emotional development and my self-image. This was the only father I knew. It would suffice to say that he definitely did not pour love into me, nor did he protect me. So my dad had a friend that was extremely close to the family. Again, another handsome, charming, charismatic individual who is well-recognized within our community. You know, he served in the church and he had a nice house and he did well for himself. So looking in from the outside, he looked like a really great man and like somebody that somebody could look up to or emulate. The reality is, is he was an absolute monsters, monster. And so for reasons unbeknownst to me, my sisters and I were left with him a lot. And he took advantage of that. You know, I can't tell you this story from my sister's perspectives. I can only tell you from my own. So when we were left to stay the night at his house, he would make us sleep in his bed with him. He would turn out the lights and he would put on this old radio show called The Shadow. As the narrator began telling the story of the shadow, the monster would start playing with my hair. Then he would slide his hand up my shirt and he would caress my back. And eventually he would slide his hand down my back and into my panties. He would just caress my butt at first, but without fail, his hands would violate me even further. While he was doing this to me, he would make me touch him and caress him during his violation of me. So, you know, there would be other instances where he would be in the shower and he would ask me to wash his body while he stood there fully erect. And as a little girl, it's hard to rationalize that. It's hard to walk away and say no or or know how to tell a person who's been put in a place of authority over you to tell them no. 
Um, there would be times that he would get in the shower with me and wash my body, or at times he just stood outside of the shower and watched me while I was bathing myself. And this happened for years. So when I told my dad what was happening, he took me to the barn and he whipped me worse than he ever had. And I will never, ever forget that beating. And he told me that if I ever told anyone that again, it would be much worse for me. So I didn't. I began lying. I would make up all of these ridiculous stories. Um, I would wet the bed until I was probably 10 years old, maybe even a little bit older. And I was very aggressive. I was also super hypersexualized, and I tried to show other children the things that were happening to me. I remember another girl that I went to church with who was my age who already knew about all this stuff. And we would touch each other, and she and I had a very inappropriate sexual relationship for nine or ten year old little girls. Understanding what I do now, it breaks my heart to realize that this little girl was also being sexually abused. Unfortunately, he was not the only monster who exposed me to sexual things. I was exposed to pornography, and I was inappropriately touched by other family members and even friends of my older sisters. I was a broken little girl being abused in ways that were unimaginable, and the people who were supposed to protect me did not. For years, I absolutely hated my mom. I believe she should have protected me, and she didn't. I think I was always just much angrier with my mom than with my dad because I always knew that he wouldn't protect me. And I don't know why I knew that, but but I think it was just an inherent knowledge that he wasn't going to protect me. At that time, I didn't understand, like, you know, I didn't even understand the abuse that my mother was receiving and the trauma and damage it caused her. I do now. I have very vivid memories of him hitting her, some of the demeaning things he said to her. I have memories of him making her change clothes because he did not approve of what she was wearing. I remember listening to her cry to her best friends and then praying that things would change. I grew up in a very toxic and abusive home. I stated in the first episode that I grew up in church. We were at church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday. Pretty much, if the church doors were open, we were there. Both of my parents served in the church, and unfortunately, this damaged my relationship and image of Jesus. Going to church and hearing about things that we should not be doing and then seeing the exact opposite at home really had a damaging effect on my relationship with Jesus. Hearing people refer to God as Father pushed me away from ever wanting that relationship with Him. You know, everything I ever knew about fathers was not good. My biological father killed himself, leaving me with a huge gaping sense of rejection and worthlessness, and the man who raised me made me feel ugly, unworthy, and completely without value. So the last thing I really wanted was another father. Obviously, this is a condensed version of things that happened during my childhood. I'm just trying to set the foundation of some of the whys of my teenage and adult behaviors. So let's fast forward to my teenage years. My mom and dad divorced when I was 11. I think everybody who was involved in that was completely relieved. But my mom was left a broken mess, and my dad played the mortar. He tore my mom down every chance he got, and I hated her. But I also loved her so much. So during this time, my dad decided that I was in fact his daughter. You know, not legally, of course, but enough to manipulate my emotions so he could hurt my mom. And when it was convenient for him, I could go stay at his house when my younger siblings went with him. This ended when he met and married his fifth wife when I was 16. 
she did everything she could to, to make certain that I knew for a fact I was not his daughter. More often than not, I was with my mom until I was about 14. I was extremely rebellious. I resented every type of authority, especially my parents. Um, my mom and I, we fought constantly. We got into several physical altercations. She would kick me out and I would end up living with my grandfather. That by itself was a very tumultuous relationship, but he was consistent and I knew he loved me. He died unexpectedly when I was 16 and that was devastating for me. So between my grandfather and my mom, I also lived with friends and I just kind of jumped around. I had a very unstable home life at that point. I was just an absolute mess. So let's backtrack to when I was 14. I met my first husband and he was 21 at the time. We didn't start seeing each other then and we didn't start seeing each other until I was 16. And then I ended up moving in with him shortly after my grandfather died. This was the first person I ever fell in love with. And he was my first for a lot of things. I adored him. And at that point in my life, I didn't think I could love anybody more than I loved him. Looking back, I can see how young and broken we both were. Neither of us had healthy, godly role models or relationships to shape our marriage after. I found out I was pregnant on my 17th birthday and we got married six weeks later. So when our son was born, I knew I had been wrong. I could absolutely love somebody much more than I could love my husband. Our relationship had always been rocky. We argued all the time, but it wasn't until after our son was born that it began to get physical. Out of respect for my children, I'm not going to go into details about much of what happened between us. When my son was six months old, things had gotten so bad between us that I ended up moving in with my mom and I ended up staying with her for only a few months. My ex-husband would come and he would see his son and we talked and I eventually moved back in, excuse me, back in with him shortly after his 25th birthday. You know, things were still rough, but I think we were both trying and doing the very best that we could at that time. I became pregnant with our daughter, and honestly, I'm not certain if either of us were ready for that. I turned 19, and three weeks later, my beautiful little girl was born. This was a game changer for me because I started to see the world differently, and my perspective on a lot of things shifted dramatically, and this honestly was a point of contention between my husband and I. And this is when things got really ugly, like very quickly. I was eventually sat down by a deputy and told that I am more than welcome to stay in that situation, but they were not going to allow my children to, and I had to make a choice. We talked about it and we both agreed that we should get a divorce. Our relationship was riddled with physical and sexual abuse as well as adultery. And at that point, neither of us could see how it could be salvaged. So at the age of 20, I was divorced and I had two young children, no education and no real skill set to speak of. I had dropped out of school and got my my GED when I got pregnant with my son. That was always a really sore spot for me because regardless of how messy my life was, I was always an honor roll student and was in the gifted program and this felt like a huge failure to me. Now I have a master's degree. But for the longest time, I was embarrassed to tell people that. After our divorce, I started working in restaurants as a server. I made really decent money but spent it as soon as I made it. I was not equipped for the real world at all. I did not know how to pay bills. I didn't know how to manage money. So I really was, I just wasn't equipped for the real world. And I made very stupid choices and mistakes. Working in restaurants, I also discovered the joys of partying and alcohol and and how accessible all of those things are. 
I got this false sense of freedom from the divorce and I began making very stupid decisions. Even though we had divorced, there were a few times my ex-husband and I kept trying to fix things. Looking back, I'm not really sure if we were actually trying or if it was just the comfort of something familiar. A little over a year after our divorce, I met a man who within a span of seven months had manipulated me, uh, manipulated me, he had lied to me, and he had coerced me into making a decision I would not have made had he been honest. He held me captive, he stalked me, and then he ended up brutally attacking me. We're not going to dive into all of that into this episode, in this episode, but we're definitely going to dive into that in another episode. But this event by itself dramatically changed who I was. It broke me to the core and it left me with extremely mixed emotions about God. I would like to state that during the entirety of my first marriage, we went to church. I never stopped going to church completely. I would have periods of time after my divorce that I didn't attend, but I was always drawn back to church. After this event, I didn't go to church for about two years. I turned to alcohol and I used this as my coping mechanism. I blamed everyone for everything and I could hardly function. I was not healthy mentally or physically. I engaged in sexual relationships and became someone I didn't recognize and that I didn't like. Two years after my attack, I ended up going into renal and liver failure. I spent 23 days in the hospital. When I uh, was released from the hospital, I was still really sick and they couldn't get things in order. So I had to do a low dosage of chemotherapy um, for eight weeks to kill off my immune system and to restart it. I was just very, very sick and I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. But after I recovered, I started going back to church. I wasn't faithfully attending, but I was going. I would have periods of time that I was fully invested, and then I would have a night out with friends and fall back into my old cycle. That happened for about two more years because I became pregnant with my youngest son. Uh, This pregnancy was beyond difficult, and it literally almost killed me, and it almost killed my son, um, and it did kill one of my sons. So I was pregnant with twins, and halfway through my pregnancy, I lost one of the boys. My surviving son had failure to thrive and was born prematurely. He was literally the smallest baby I have ever held. But this will also be a topic that I dive into more in another episode. So after he was born, his father and I decided that we were going to move in together and really work at being a family. We began attending church together and really trying to build a godly foundation. Seven months after moving in together, we got married. I really don't know if this was good or bad, even at this point in my life. I know we both had the right intentions, but we were both so broken. He had experienced a lot of traumas in his life. I had experienced a lot of traumas in my life. And the reality is, is that neither of us had healed from any of it. During the course of our marriage, I decided I was going to go back to school. And this by itself drove a huge wedge between us. While our relationship was always kind of volatile, This was the thing that really caused us to fall apart because this is when I begin to heal. It is when I begin to, uh, I began to start actively addressing the broken parts of my life. And he was not on that course with me. Our marriage just continued to get worse and worse. Looking back, I can see that a lot of his behavior was based in fear and he was desperately trying to hold his family together, but it wasn't done in the right manner. I, on the other hand, started recognizing the emotional abuse for what it was and fought against it. I didn't handle it in the right manner either. At one point, he asked me to do something with him that was so uh, devastating to me 
I completely disconnected with him and it broke something inside of me. I ended up having an affair. It wasn't this long drawn out thing and it wasn't even planned, but it happened. This was one of the nevers I said I would never do. Part of my parents' divorce was due to adultery and I just knew I would never, I would never be that person. And oddly enough, this wasn't even the thing that even caused our divorce. I know it played a part in it, but it was not the deciding factor because our divorce did not come for several more years. We went to church throughout the entirety of our marriage. After our divorce, I stopped going to church. This lasted about six months and then I would go again, but it was hit and miss. I tried attending other churches, but eventually went back to the church I have attended for almost 20 years. The next couple of years involved me being in three relationships that didn't work out and that were not God-centered at all. Eventually, God brought me to a place of healing, but that didn't happen overnight, and it didn't come without sacrifice. Obviously, every part of this story is a condensed and watered-down version of everything that has happened, but you get the point. My life was an absolute mess, and so was I. I could easily blame everything that was happening on everyone else, but at some point, I was responsible for my life and the things that were happening within my life. I was responsible for the people that were coming in and out of my life. I was responsible for my emotional well-being. I was responsible for how I saw myself and the standards and expectations I set. And that was a very eye-opening revelation for me. It didn't mean that the things that happened to me were not relevant or that they were okay. It just meant that I was responsible for my reaction to them. And I had responded poorly. I had hurt the people that I loved the most along the way. I had broken trust and lost relationships. I left a wake of hurt and destruction behind me. This is not an easy admission, but it is the truth. And when we start identifying the ugly truths in our lives, in our behaviors, in our cycles, we're able to start healing from the damage of those truths. My behaviors didn't stem from me being an awful person. They came directly from the abuse and the trauma I experienced as a child and never healed from. From the abuse and trauma I experienced as a teenager and never healed from. From the abuse and trauma I experienced as an adult and didn't heal from. For years, I blamed everyone else. It was my parents' fault for not protecting me. It was my first husband's fault for not protecting me. It was my attacker's fault. It was my second husband's fault for not protecting me. It was always someone else's fault and not my own. It was never my own fault until it was. Until I was at a place of brokenness I have never been before and the Holy Spirit showed me that it was me. I was the problem. Not that I am a problem, but that the broken pieces I have refused to deal with are what were destroying my life. So for the first time in my life, I said, here, you take them, God, I don't want them. And he did. The problem with humanity is that sometimes we like to try to take those pieces back because for a good portion of our lives, this is what we have identified as. And I am guilty of that. I've tried to take those pieces back. I've tried to say, hey God, let me have that back. Give it back to me. And there's a comfort in that. There's a comfort in the known. But after some time and some consistency in my relationship with Jesus, I have stopped reaching for those pieces. Those were no longer my identifiers. 
those were no longer the standards in which I measured my worth. They simply became a part of my story, but they were no longer who I was. I had a relationship because I was scared to be alone and I had multiple relationships because of my fear to be alone. And I believed that my worth came from whomever I was with, that the person that I chose was going to choose me back, that the person that I chose was going to fill this void, that the person that I chose was going to add value that I didn't see myself having already. I did not already identify myself as being valuable. I engaged in sexual relationships when I didn't even really want to because I had this huge void that needed to be filled. And the reality for sexual assault victims is that they become hypersexualized and the parts of their brains that develop sexual desire are completely altered by abuse. We're stimulated. People who have experienced sexual abuse are stimulated um, by abusive relationships. They're stimulated by unhealthy sexual relationships. And, and your brain just does not respond to, re- to healthy relationships the way that it should. But I no longer engage or have any desire to be in a sexual relationship. I was talking with a friend this past Sunday and I told her that for a while I thought there was an issue with my libido and that I was having an issue with arousal or hormones or that I was having some kind of physical issue because I wasn't having the same reaction to somebody that I thought was physically attractive that I'd had in the past. And I thought I was having these physical issues until I realized that I wasn't actually having an issue. God had healed me and helped me through the process of dealing with those traumas that have occurred in my life. My body isn't broken and I do have a desire to have a relationship. I just have a desire to be in a godly relationship, to be in a healthy relationship. And I've reached a point in my life where I am no longer willing to settle. I am content with being alone and I truly have peace and joy in my life. This happened because I chose Jesus. I chose to truly get to know him, to surrender my life to him, and allow him to be the Lord of my life. He wasn't, you know, he for a long time, Jesus was just a convenient savior. He was there in my times of trouble, but not in my day-to-day walk. And he's no longer just my convenient savior. He is just simply the Lord of my life. So every day, regardless of the circumstances, I choose Jesus. Trauma and PTSD are both very real things, and they have the ability to take your life on a course you never imagined. I believe that it is very important to understand that while you're never responsible for the actions of of someone who has hurt you, you are 100% responsible for your response to their actions. You have the option of being a victim or being a someone who is at one point victimized. When I stopped allowing myself to believe I was a perpetual victim and I identified as someone who was at one point victimized, this shifted my perspective and it began to take power away from those who had hurt me until eventually they no longer had any power over my life. So I would encourage anyone who has experienced any form of sexual trauma to seek therapy and get the correct tools to help you cope with what happened to you. And I will always, always, always encourage you to have a relationship with Jesus. The joy I have received from my relationship with him is indescribable. The void of not having a father has been filled. The wounds have been healed. 
and are just battle scars now. And I live a life full of purpose and truth. And this is the most freedom I have ever experienced in my life. Thank you again for joining me. And I look forward to connecting on the next episode.